We've made it to uh, John chapter 20. We're going to cover the first 18 verses. And I actually, this time, put them on the slide as well. Bammer's going to pull those up for us. Um, And what I want to do is I want to read through these. You have your notes. You feel free to take them as you uh, take notes on there as you uh, see fit. I just want to read through these 18 verses, and then we'll go back through and kind of uh, march, march through it. And Bammer, once we get through reading this, if you could just bring up that one slide that's just got the uh, one verse on it. It's, it's, uh, it's there by itself. Uh, so starting with verse 1, and once again, I am reading this from the Scriptures version, and you're welcome to use the notes or use your own as you see fit. So starting with verse 1, it says, And on the first day of the week, Miriam from Magdala came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. She ran and came to Shimon Kepher, Simon Peter, uh, and said to the other taught one whom Yeshua loved and said to them, they've taken the master out of the tomb and we do not know where they laid him. Then Kepher and the other taught one went out and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together, but the other taught one outran Kepher and came to the tomb first. And stooping down, he saw the linen wrappings lying, but he didn't go in. Then Shimon Kepha came following him and went to the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings and the cloth, which uh, had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but folded up in a place by itself. So then the other taught one who came to the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For they did not yet know the scripture that he has to rise again from the dead. Therefore, the taught ones went away again by themselves. But Miriam, or Mary, was standing outside by the tomb weeping. Then as she wept, she stooped down to the tomb and saw two messengers in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Yeshua had been laid. And they said to her, woman, why do you weep? She said to them, because they took away my master and I don't know where they laid him. Verse 14, and having said this, she turned around and saw Yeshua standing, but she didn't know that it was Yeshua. Yeshua said to her, woman, why do you weep? Whom do you seek? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said to him, master, if you've carried him away, say to me where you put him and I shall take him away. Yeshua said to her, Miriam. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher. Yeshua said to her, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to to my father and to your father and to my Elohim and your Elohim. Miriam from Magdala came announcing to the taught ones that she had seen the master and that he told her this. And we pray that God would honor the reading of his word. Amen. So let's go back and, and look at this, starting here in verse 1. So in verse 1 it says, uh, On the first day of the week, Miriam from Magdala came early to the tomb. So there's a few verses you might want to jot down just for... Uh, comparative uh, references here to the same event. Uh, In Matthew 28, verse 1, 
It says, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Miriam from Magdala and the other Miriam came to the tomb. I'm giving you these for a reason. I want to show you what's going on here. In Mark 16, verses 1 and 2, it says, And when the Sabbath was passed, Miriam from Magdala, Miriam the mother of Jacob, and Shaloma brought spices to go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. Then if you look at Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 11, listen to what it says here. It says, And on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And having entered, they did not find the body of the master Yeshua, and it came to be, as they, that as they were perplexed about this, that, see, two men stood by them in glittering garments. And becoming frightened and bowing their faces to the earth, these said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has been raised up. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in the Galilee, saying the son of Adam has to be delivered in the hands of sinners and be impaled and on the third day rise again? And they remembered his words, and having returned from the tomb, they reported all this to the eleven and all the rest. And it was Miriam from Magdala, and Johanan, or John, and Miriam the mother of Jacob, and the rest with them, who told this to the emissaries. And their words appeared to them to be nonsense, and they did not believe them. So <clears throat> I've just got this little note here that I jotted down, and you can jot it down or just listen. It says... Taking all of this into account, if we understand that John in his gospel, in his, in his gospel account, he is focused on Mary and not all the other women involved. His focus is on Mary's part in this whole story. It is not a contradiction, as some claim. It's just a focused perspective from one of the women involved. Why am I telling you that? It's because this is one of those verses or one of these sections in the gospel account that critics will say, look, these stories don't line up. One time it says Mary goes. The other time it says all the women went. One time it says that they're there and they're seeing angels standing, talking to them. And another time it's saying that Mary's all there by herself and she sees them inside the tomb. They're like, so what is going on? Let me try to paint you a picture of how I think this stuff has, would have played out as best I can tell from looking at the chronological gospels, if you will, and mapping this thing out. All these women go down there first. It's still dark. Uh, when they're there, their stone's been rolled away. That's when they see the two angels standing there and they start talking to them. You have to remember now, these women are distraught. That's why they're there, pretty much just right at sunup. Uh, they're planning on trying to remove the stone. Not easy. They were talking about it on the way. Who's going to move it for us? They, they, were just, they didn't care. They were just going to take care of things. Uh, they all run back, and they tell the disciples, and Peter and John run back to the tomb. So does Mary. 
maybe some of the other women do too. It might not have been just the three of them. Can't really say that for sure. But here's what we do know. The, the two guys get there. Mary's there. They end up leaving and then Mary stays and then that's when she sees the angel inside and has the encounter with Jesus personally. It doesn't mean that there's a contradiction. It just means that in John's gospel, he's focusing on just Mary. We okay with that? But here's what we might not realize. This is huge for some very important reasons. Um, let, let's just go on and look at this. It's, you know, so she's running, she's running back and forth. She gets, uh, she gets, they get their attention and then they go back to the tomb. Now maybe it's a little after sunup. Uh, everybody has scattered. And we do know that John and Peter are there and Mary. We do know that they're there. Maybe some of the others are. We're not told. Doesn't matter. We need to focus on these. And have you ever heard the story about, well, you should, we just read it, that John outran Peter. I've always read that and thought, I wonder if John, uninspired, put that in there. By the way, I outran him. Uh, you know, uh, Maybe not, but uh, maybe it was inspired. Anyhow, he outruns him and he beats him to the tomb, but he doesn't go in. I've heard all kinds of stories as to why John didn't go in. You know, maybe he was too nervous. Maybe he was just being polite. Maybe he was just trying to be honorable, whatever. And then look at old dumb Peter. He just, man, he just runs right in, right? We, I mean, and that's pretty much how we typically look at that. You know, John's being dignified and everything. And Peter, you know, he's got foot and mouth disease. He's always putting his foot in his mouth. He's always talking before he's thinking. He's always running. He's the one that just jumped out of the boat. I think Peter really gets a bad rap. I really do. Peter got out of the boat. He's the only one of them that walked on water. Um, I think there's another story going on here because it says, you know, that John didn't go in. Why didn't he go in? You might want to jot this down. We, we looked at it not that long ago in John 18, 15, just a few chapters back. And let me read to you the notes that I wrote down here. It says, why didn't John go into the tomb when he arrived? So much has been speculated on this, and yet we should remember that at the arrest of Yeshua, it was John who was known by the high priest that allowed him to be near during the trial. That should be a huge clue. If John was of a priestly line, which he probably was, and that's why he would have been known by the high priest and why there would have been a connection there. And if John was a priest, he would have been concerned about becoming defiled by being in contact with the dead. And watch this. Especially that day is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I mean, the Feast of first fruits during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So if he's a priest, he's like, um, you know, let me look, but I'm not going in there. It, it would have been part of his training and understanding. Peter, being a fisherman, probably not a priest, wouldn't be thinking that. He's like, let's just take care of business. I'm going to run in there and see what's going on. They don't even have a discussion about it. John goes in, watch this, when he realizes what? There's not a body in there. 
So when it says he saw it and he believed, what was it that he believed? Did he believe that he'd been resurrected? We're told right here that he didn't. They didn't understand that yet. What did he believe? He believed that the body was gone. That's what he believed. Mary tells him all this. They're all frantic. They're not thinking, oh, we're going to go find the resurrected Savior. They're thinking, what did they do with his body for crying out loud? That's all that's going on in their minds. <clears throat> because right after it says, you know, they did not yet know the, the, the passage that said he had to rise. Uh, so when he looks in there and he sees that the clothes aren't there, I mean, the clothes are there, but the body's not. Now he's like, okay, it's okay to go in here. There's not a dead body in here. And it's not going to interfere with me worshiping God during the Feast of First Fruits, which is that day, and during the rest of that week of unleavened bread and being able to go in and out of the temple area. Kind of makes sense, right? <clears throat> so it says, um, he saw the linen wrappings lying in the cloth which had, not, which had been on his head and not lying with the other linen wrappings, but folded and put in its place. How many of y'all heard stories about that? There's been books and books written on it. There's this whole theory about, you know, the reason why he folded the head covering and he folded and he put it down because that was a sign in their culture of the day that I'm, come, I'm not through and I'm coming back, right? Doesn't that, oh, right? That, that'll, that'll tug at your heartstrings, right? And that might be true because he is coming, right? And he did reveal himself to them and he is also coming back. But I think there's a, a more plausible uh, understanding of why that was important. Why would it be important for those grave clothes to still be in there? It's proof that somebody didn't steal the body, but the body's resurrected. If you came to steal a body, you're not going to unwrap it before you carry it out. Because that was also the lie that started to be told as to how the body's not there, the body got stolen, right? So the whole issue of the clothes being there was a sign his body didn't get stolen, he's resurrected, he's now alive, and this is a sign, I'm alive, he's going to show himself alive, but it needed to be like, if you will, forensic evidence they didn't steal the body. No one would steal a dead corpse, a dead body, after three days in the ground. That's what the spices were for, to cover the smell and to speed up the decaying process. So no one would have done that. Uh, wouldn't, it doesn't even make sense, right? So when you think of it in those terms, actually the story starts to even make even more sense, right? Uh, and so it says, you know, so the, they see it. John goes, okay, I believe it. They go in there. They're looking around. They can't really figure. They're like, he's not here, and we're seeing this. I don't think they're thinking, well, this is forensic evidence, so later we can argue that, yes, he's really alive. Do you and I... Today we watched part of uh, Sherlock Holmes with Benedict Cumberbatch. I think he's the best. But he just talks so fast, sometimes you can't keep up with him. I don't think like that. I don't think like Sherlock Holmes. 
Usually when I'm faced with something like that, I got stuff flying. I'm just trying to pick up the pieces to figure out what am I even looking at, right? They're all distraught, probably haven't slept much in the last three days. They're all disturbed. They've been through, it's very traumatic. They're seeing this and we're told that they don't understand that he's resurrected. So in other words, they're not seeing it going, okay, yeah, he's alive. They're looking at it going, this makes no sense at all. And so they run back. Okay? Uh, they did not understand the scriptures. Now watch this. You jot this down in Psalm 1610. Psalm 1610, it says, For you do not leave my being in the grave, neither let your kind one see corruption or decay. As a matter of fact, when we, we're going to start going through the book of Acts, probably about the 1st of October is when we should kick that off. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun. But um, Peter refers to this in Acts chapter 2. When he's talking about the resurrection, he's referring to this verse here, and we'll get to that when we march through there. But it says that they, didn't, they did not yet understand the Scripture that he had to rise again from the dead. None of this was really clicking. Why? The biggest reason was they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. So they're, they're in the midst of the fire, and in the midst of the fire, they're not able to understand all the details. They're, just, they're in, a, they're in a, the fight for their lives, they believe. Uh, and so that's just what they're dealing with. And it says, so they went away, and they left, by themselves. Now let's look at the real core of this whole story. Mary. You notice, I mean, everywhere you look throughout the gospel account, she's always included, but especially John. This whole story about this resurrection seems to focus on Mary. She's there early. She goes back, obviously, with the other women. She tells them. They come back. And Mary's still there. She has come back again. This is now, if you will, the third trip. She went there, went back, now she's back again. <clears throat> and she's upset, and the other disciples, they, they leave. So everybody's gone, it's just Mary. And she's outside the tomb weeping. I do funerals a lot, and uh, in a lot of funerals, people want to play the song in the garden. And he walks with me and he talks with me. That song is written about Mary in the garden with the risen Savior. Why Mary? Why woman? See, there are other people that also say that the whole gospel account, it's made up. Watch this. No Jewish historian or writer would, number one, make up a story, and I hate to say it this way, but would make up a story with a woman all by herself being the main testimony, witness, to the account would never do. In other words, if you're going to make it up, Jesus probably would have risen and showed himself to the high priest or to Pilate or whatever and say, no, 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 you messed up or whatever. 
And that's not how it went, right? So what did God decide to use? A broken woman. Because the rest of the world would have done it different. But our God is a personal God. This story has always tugged at my heart. She's weeping. She's trying to look in. She's trying to figure this out. She sees two angels in there. The angels weren't there when Peter and John were there. So you have to go, this was intentional. This is what I'm trying to get you to see. This is not accidental. Peter and John, John's the one, the beloved apostle. Peter is, you know, the leader, boisterous, you know, do it and figure out the details later guy. Jesus doesn't show himself to those two. They were part of the inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. So Jesus doesn't show himself to them. The angels don't show themselves to them, but they show themselves to Mary. Why Mary? Why a woman? Why is all this happening with her? I think it also goes all the way back to the garden. The first garden. When Satan attacked, he went through the woman. And he did it to destroy humanity because of his anger at God and jealousy over us. So God becomes a man and dies on the cross. And this statement that he's conquered sin and death, I'm going to use a woman. Satan, your best shot in the first garden and even in this one, you can't beat me. My love conquers all. And so he decided to use Mary or Miriam. Did you know that Miriam or Mary She's the lady that had seven demons in her. And Jesus cast them out of her. She was beaten down, bruised, outcast, crazy. Seven demons. You see, she loved... She loved Jesus with all of her heart because he brought her back from the pit of darkness and evil and despair. And she didn't have to exercise a bunch of faith and whatever and do all kinds of weird stuff. He just cast them out of her and loved her and healed her. And I believe that because she was forgiven so much, she loved so much. It 
So they ask her, you know, why am I a wa- woman? Why are you weeping? <laughs> She's weeping because she loved her master so much. She's not thinking about anything but the loss and the grief she's experiencing. And I have to take care of him. It does not matter. And it doesn't matter if she can or can't. She's going to. Look at this because it says... In verse 15, you know, she sees Jesus. She doesn't know it's him. And Jesus says to her, you know, once again, why are you weeping? And then he says, whom do you seek? He knows who she's looking for. See, I think there, even though Peter and John loved Jesus and everything, I think they were looking for answers. Us men can be real bad about that. Tunnel vision, got to have the answer, solve the problem, then we go off to the next problem, solve this problem, then we go off to the next problem. Mary didn't need answers. She just needed Jesus, even dead. She didn't care. She didn't care that she was going up against Rome. She didn't care she was going up against the, the priest and the guards, the temple guards, all... You know, she didn't care that they had just murdered him and all that and that she might get murdered for doing whatever it is she's about. She doesn't care. She's not thinking about any of those details. She just loved Jesus and she needs to be with Jesus and she needs to know where his body is. And so Jesus is asking her, who do you seek? So she thinks he's the gardener and her statement is fascinating. Now she's by herself. She says to the gardener, she thinks it's the gardener, sir, tell me where you've taken him. Just tell me and I'll go get him. She's not saying, I'll go get help and we'll get him and we will take care of him. She doesn't use the term in the plural. She says, you tell me where he is and I will go get him and take care of him. I mean, that would be a daunting task, right? That would be horrible. But she doesn't care. I mean, back in the day, they didn't do embalming and stuff like they do now. I mean, not in this culture here that we're talking about. So she's thinking he's been dead now three plus days. Doesn't matter. I will go grab that rotting corpse by hand, by myself, and carry it, drag it, whatever, to take care of him. That's, that's her mindset. That's huge, isn't it? And then this is the part that has always grabbed my heart. Jesus just looks at her and says, Mary. In the Gospel of John, Jesus also described himself as the good shepherd. And my sheep know my voice, 
And the good shepherd also, what? He will call them by name. And he calls Mary by name personally. And when he calls her by name, she knows exactly who he is. She doesn't need any explanation. She's not in shock thinking, how can this be? She's just overrelated with joy. Rabboni, rabbi, master, teacher, it is you. Evidently, she grabs a hold of him. There's been tons of books written on this too. Well, now, why do you tell her don't hold on to me? I'm not going to chase that too far today, but in verse 17, it says, Yeshua said to her, Don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. I do believe that this really is connected to the Feast of First Fruits, where the high priest would go in, they would gather the grain. They would make, grind it, <clears throat> make the bread, and he would bring it out on first fruits. And he would be isolated in the temple until the bread was baked and until he brought it out before the people. Isolated meaning he's, apart, he's separated from everybody else, not touched, whatever, until they bring him the bread and he presents it to, if you will, to God the Father. This is on the day of first fruits. So what's he about to do? He's about to go before the Father and say, we did it, and I'm bringing to you all the kingdoms of the earth. The kingdom of God is here, and that certificate, that handwritten decree is now done away with. Um, and I, I think that's, where, what it's, I, that's what it's connected to. Um, but then I want you to see this because this is again tied to this issue of, if you will, from John's perspective and John's gospel, obviously that the Holy Spirit told him to write <clears throat> so that everybody would understand that this is a real account that actually did happen. Once again, the, humanly speaking, people, especially of this day, would not have chosen uh, if you will, a woman that's been delivered of seven demons, think about that, to be the first witness to testify of the resurrection of Jesus. But that's exactly who God chose to use. And that this is not a made-up story, they would have used, like I said, the high priest or somebody else uh, but that's not what God uses. He uses the broken. He uses the lonely. He uses the, the, what seems to be the foolishness of this world to uh, confound the wise. Better turn that off before my phone rings. Um, and he says, so after he says that, look at what he commands her to do. He says, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God, your God, my Elohim, your Elohim. It's huge. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to my brothers. Now it's, he's, like, he's, not, he's saying, I no longer call you servants but friends, and now he's calling them brother. Why? Because even the Apostle Paul said, what, we are now have been, what, adopted into 
the family of God. We've been brought near to God's story and God's family. We have what? The spirit of adoption. We've been brought in and adopted. And so now right here, Jesus is saying immediately, they don't even know yet. These guys don't know yet that Jesus has resurrected, that he's conquered the grave, but Jesus is declaring, I know they don't know it yet, but they're, our, they're my brothers. You have, to let, you have to let that kind of marinate a minute. We're so sequential and chronological. God is outside of time and space. He knows their heart. He knows everything about them. And he's like, I love them and they are my brothers. So he says, you go and you tell them that I'm going to my father and to your father. God, the God of the creation is now our father. That might sound like old news, but that's big news. And he says, and he's my God and your God. So the creator of the universe, who is the only true God, is our Father. So he says, this is what, you know, you, you go to them and you say, you say this to them. So what's the, the first per, physical human being that sees Jesus resurrected is this woman who was delivered from seven demons. She's broken, if you will, but deeply in love with her Savior. She sees him as the first witness, and she's literally given the first order of, if you will, evangelism. That very morning, and he says, you go to my brothers and you tell them something for me. That's huge, isn't it? And so in verse 18, it says, Mary from Magdala came announcing. She went and announced exactly what she saw and exactly what happened. Isn't that cool? I think it's absolutely awesome. Mary becomes the first to testify the resurrection of Yeshua, and Yeshua chose to reveal himself to this woman who had lost so much, been possessed by demons, somewhat of an outcast, and then calls her by name. You ever felt like God couldn't use you? It was at that point that she knew the voice of the good shepherd and worships him. And Satan attacked humanity through the woman Eve and Yeshua chose the woman Mary, the most broken of them, most broken of them all, to proclaim the victory of the resurrection. It's not fun being broken. Is it? But are you? Are we? Am I? Are you filled with doubt, shame, maybe feel alone? Yeshua is really calling you personally to himself. Nowhere else, nowhere else will you find any peace, victory, forgiveness. Restoration. 
than in the presence of the risen Messiah. He's calling you, he's calling me, he's calling us to himself. The question is, will we respond? He's calling us, he's calling you, he's calling me to proclaim to the world that he's the risen Savior. And no matter where we've been or what we've gone through, God can still use us and he can still use you. He used a broken woman early in the morning in a garden all by herself to, bro- to go and proclaim something, and she did. Well, and the rest is history, right? And here we are today, 2,000 years later, still holding on to that story, that hope, that forgiveness, that grace and peace. But that same Jesus that showed up for her... <laughs> We have to believe. When everything up here tells you you can't, we have to believe that He's a God that loves and forgives and can still do miracles. He loves you.